And that year, my son bloomed like crazy. I mean, he transformed. He became a totally different guy. And at the end of the year, not that every day was perfect and sunshine and roses, but literally like he became a totally different guy. And it was like somebody handed me gold every day. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with author of the book Nourish, Encouragement for Parents Homeschooling Through High School, Cara McLaughlin. Cara shares her family's inspiring journey and massive success with homeschooling. Cara talks about the vulnerability of the unknown juxtaposed with the tremendous possibility of something great and how intuition, education, and social support networks in the form of circles helped Cara and her family navigate homeschooling to enrich all of their lives. I was so delighted to talk to Cara and I'm excited to share our conversation. Thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast. Cara McLaughlin, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thank you, Walker. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. So, Cara, you have, um, I'll start out with your website, caramclaughlinlife.com. Um, you're a writer, an encourager, which I love that that title, uh, and then a homeschool super fan. And I want to talk to you kind of about a variety of things. I also, I should say, you're also an author. Uh, your book, uh, Nourish Encouragement for Parents Homeschooling Through High School. Um, as you and I were just chatting a little bit before the recording, I'm not a parent or anything, so I don't actually have children myself, but I've always found homeschooling to be a really interesting topic. And I frankly just haven't really ever known anyone certainly that has your breadth of experience with it. Um, so I want to talk about that, but I, I want to actually just start with a little bit about yourself. Carl, where are you from? Where, where, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to tell you a little bit about that. So I'm a writer and an encourager, but I believe deeply um, I'm a storyteller. I've always loved to write and share stories and um, when I my first job out of high school was a news a newspaper reporter for my hometown, so I thought I was going to be the next Lois Lane. I thought yeah. I had arrived, but um, since that time, I feel like storytelling has kind of been the common thread of who I am and what I've been up to. And so, um, I studied the grown up version of storytelling, which was journalism. And mm -hmm. so, my undergraduate and masters are both from Michigan State University. Go Spartans! And um, I ended up working in every facet and version of storytelling, whether it was like working for my hometown newspaper or working for a tiny radio station, writing advertisements or working for the advertising agency world where I worked on different brands like Starbucks and McDonald's and uh, Sprint at the time, as well as working with CEOs on telling their brand stories. So it's been a really amazing journey to see how storytelling has kind of woven its way through my life. Um, but during that season, I decided to take a break and homeschool my son. He was really struggling at the end of third grade. And so I decided to take a break from all that season and basically said, I'm going to take a year and just pour into him for a year and um, help him on this journey. And man, that was a blast to just really design a feast of learning for him, as well as to redeem my own education in the process. And so after that first year, we were kind of hooked. And so 10 years later, you know, we're still, we um, finished up our season of homeschooling and he's now in college. And so since that time, I've become a full-time writer and storyteller and encourager. And so I feel like my whole thing is all about encouragement 
And I love to share stories and um, inspire others to live their best lives through encouragement. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. So your parents were were they educators or were they were they college educated like yourself what was that like yeah my dad was a real love of learning guy i mean he was a doctor but mm. you know he grew up in puerto rico and so it was you know it was a rough life because he came to the states he had hardly any money and he um basically had to educate himself and how they did it in that era so my dad was probably in the 1950s when he went to medical school is he was the youngest of seven siblings and so one sibling would go to school and then would send money home. You know, once they went and got a job, they would send money home for the next person to come alongside them to go to school after that. And so his value of education was just very, it was tremendous. And so he always wanted us to have a book in our hands at all times and to be loving learning and to appreciate the learning because he had worked so hard all of his life to, um, to earn that degree and earn the, the experience he had through education. And um, my mom was a nurse. And so my dad was a doctor. And so we were a, a family of five kids. And so um, a lot of wild times and books and crazy adventures and lots of fun stuff happening in our family. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's awesome. I, I, I was, yeah, I was curious if, if that was the case. So another question I have um, you know, looking through your website and, and at your social media, I understand that, you know, faith is a big part of, of your life as well. Did that start as a child or was that something that developed later in life? Um, well, as a kid, I um, we had a lady that took care of me, actually. Her name was Lida. And you can imagine, like, my mom had five kids in seven years. And so if, can you imagine? Like, no. <laughs> oh, it's just crazy. And so there was a lady, her name was Lida, and um, I'll never forget her. She would take me as the youngest child. And she had a Christian bookstore at the time, just out of her house, very small, very sweet. And so she would take me and she would give me little tiny Bibles and little tiny crosses. And I always remember being kind of afraid of the dark as a kid. And Lida gave me this cross nightlight that I could plug in and watch and look at. And so if I ever got afraid or worried, she would say, look at your cross nightlight. It'll keep you safe and cover you. And the Lord watches over you in the night. And so that kind of stayed with me as a kid is that faith and that component of safety and security in your faith and that firm foundation that um, that it was sewn into me as a, a very young child and kind of carried its way through as, a, as an adult. Yeah, well, well, thank you for sharing about that. I, I just I I, um, I think that especially in the modern world, uh, faiths of, of all different varieties, you know, not, not just Christianity per se, but a lot of different faiths can be cast in a, in a light that um, that's, that's negative, frankly. Mm. And I just, you know, I know a lot of, um, of people of faith personally. And while certainly you can look through history and, you know, institutionally, there can be arguments made about, you know, that there are negative co impacts from some of these things. Everyone I know that is a person of faith, their life is enriched by it. They're, mm -hmm. the word, you know, encouraged by it. And it's, it's just, you know, um, there's just a lot of power in it. And, and so I just, I always like to, to hear people's, you know, kind of background with it because yeah. it's something that can get cast aside. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of value there. So, yeah. So I, I, I was going to ask, I mean, you know, I guess you, I, to some extent, I guess you, you answered this already. You were, you were in the school newspaper and telling stories and then went on, as you already mentioned, to get your, your bachelor's degree in journalism and PR and then a master's in advertising and PR. Was it the storytelling aspect that drew you to, to those degrees? Um, pretty much. I mean, I, um, I love the creativity involved of 
of the the journey, whether it was in advertising or journalism. I loved coming up with the, the big ideas, if you will, and being part of a team that could brainstorm and and develop big ideas as a result. And so for me personally, pursuing the experience in journalism was really about the big stories and the big ideas and um, pursuing. And that's the curiosity I think we spoke about. I mean, one of my favorite memories of working for my hometown newspaper was like citizen of the week. And Mm. so we would basically pick like the pillars of the community and the people that had been there forever and um, had been, you know, established in the community. And I love just to sit with them and hear their story and them to share like their journey in life. And much like you do, Walker, when you talk to people is to learn and to hear all the adventures and experiences of life that they experienced as part of that. And so that was my favorite is listening to people tell their story. Until this day, I still love, I love a good story. And, you know, I have a 96 year old father-in-law And um, I love to sit with him and hear stories about, you know, his times from World War Two or what was it like to be in a submarine during the during the war or how did how did they survive, you know, in an era when they, you know, had to ration things or what have you. So I just feel like, you know, everybody has such, you know, everybody has a story. It's just taking the time to listen to it and sit with them. And um, having, you know, the space in your life to hear it, I think, too, is is really a remarkable thing. People love to be seen and heard. And so I think that's what's so neat about your podcast is that you give people the time and space to be seen and heard in their story. Well, yeah, thank you. Again, it's, it's very flattering um, for you to say that. And, and that is exactly why I, I do the show and why I like talking to the variety of guests that I have is because <laughs> it turns out that uh, non-famous people are still really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes maybe even more interesting than, than <laughs> a lot of celebrities because, I mean, especially if, you know, if you've been a trillionaire for 30 years, like, how relatable are you really to <laughs> me? The answer is not very, I think. Um, so one one last question on, on kind of your background before we get jump into the homeschooling, but just I, I, I read that you were involved in pouring the first cup of Starbucks coffee in North oh, Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was curious, were you aware at that time that Starbucks was going to be the like insane phenomenon that it actually became? Was it, was it far enough along yet or was it still smaller for lack of a better way to say that? Well, this would have been the, the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody knew Starbucks, everybody knew of the fame of Starbucks. And so, yes, it was a very big deal, very big deal. And so um, it was so amazing to be part of that journey because you, I mean, you knew of Starbucks, you couldn't wait for Starbucks to be there and what it meant for the community to have a Starbucks, like the cachet and the style and the poshness to go along with it. And so it was wonderful to be a part of that journey and to help them um, figure out what I loved about um, Starbucks in general. But what I loved about that season is Starbucks is really, and I don't, I'm sure you know this about their company, but they're very intentional about Um, the communities they go into. And so my whole job was to figure out how they could engage in the community and what were the causes that matched their heart goals and their, you know, passions. And so that was my whole job was to basically like figure out in the market, like where could they love on people that ma- that that fit their brand personality and how could they support the community in the best possible way? And so what a cool job to not only help them enter the market and open a store for sure, that was amazing, but to go to the, all the things that went along with that, like the understanding of coffee and, you know, coffee is a lot like wine tasting. I mean, understanding all the subtleties and the gourmetness of coffee, but also to be a part 
of helping them become a neighbor in the community and engaging in the community in the most meaningful way they could. And so I loved that journey. What a tremendous experience to be able to be that ambassador for them. You know, and I wasn't working for Starbucks. I was like working with the advertising agency, but it was still a wonderful thing to be able to say like, we want to, you know, basically pour back into you in the community. So it was, it was an awesome, awesome time. Yeah, I have to just say, and this isn't really a question, um, but I, I'm I think it's so interesting to hear you describe the, the that work because to be just completely candid, when I think of advertising or marketing, I don't think of creativity, although obviously it's there, and I don't think of giving back or outreach or, or being neighborly. But clearly, I mean, hearing you say it, it all makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it, it, it's really interesting to hear about that side of it, because I don't know that that side of that kind of work gets enough attention. Maybe mm-hmm. is an easy way to say that. Mm-hmm. Is that a way that you always were you always thinking of it that way? Like, were you always energized by the the giving back or the neighborliness or the, the creativity of it? Or was that something that you developed as a hindsight maybe later? Well, I think it's always been kind of the, like a fit for who I am as a person. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you know, to be a good steward, you're going to be a good neighbor. You're going to be someone that invests not only in the work you do and the work you love, but also in your own neighborhoods. Right. And, um, I, I recently went through an experience where we were, I'm working with like one of the circles I'm part of, we've been working about how to be next level neighbors. And so we've been doing, going through this study about like making a difference and how just by pouring into your own neighborhood, you have, you basically have a chance to change the world because you think Mm -hmm. about it, a lot of the problems that are in this world, and I'm not saying everything is solved by being a good neighbor, but I think that if we can start simple and small and making a difference in our own neighborhood, it has such an amazing halo effect on all the, all the impact that we can have both in our cities and our communities and our leadership and our kids and our families and even our, you know, our schools and, and industry as well. So I think that, yes, I've always loved the neighborhood aspect, and I'm so grateful that I had a chance to work on that as a professional. But I think a lot of it, too, is really resonates with the kind of person that of who I want to be or long to be, which is making a difference in your own community. Yeah, and no, I think that's so powerful. Um, and I, I promise I won't go down a long rabbit hole <laughs> about social media here. But in the social media world, uh, it is so popular to, you know, type a hashtag about of, uh, and quote unquote activist view that a person may have. And, and that's a question that I ask a lot of people when I see that going on is like, that's great that you're posting this on social media, but how much time are you spending just helping out your own community? I mean, you're worried about something overseas that's going on, which is fine. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve attention, but are you even paying attention to your own, you know, your neighborhood, your own community? Um, and I, I think you're, I mean, I agree with what you said entirely. I think that there's a lot of, a lot of good that can come from that. And it's a lot more, you can actually see the results, right? Whereas maybe you hashtag something and maybe that increases awareness and that does help in some way, but it's, it's hard to see the tangible result of that. Right. Um, I think it's about using your powers for good. You know, I mean, you know, social media can also bring a lot of good things to an awareness, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, not just social media. And, and I, I, you know, a friend said to me recently, nobody was really changed by a tweet or nobody's, nobody's life was ever, you know, you know, your, right. your mindset was never changed by a social media post. But right. um, I do believe that um, you can use your powers for good. And so I'd much rather my efforts speak more, you know, speak louder than my social media, I guess. Yeah, no, that's awesome. 
So you mentioned that, you know, um, your your son was in third grade when you decided to, to give homeschooling a try. So you said that he was struggling. What kind of struggles was he having? Was it academic? Was it social? Uh, and I'll just interject quickly myself. You know, I switched to a, a private Lutheran uh, middle school. Um, and for me, it was, you know, class sizes were really, really big in the public school. And I, just like now, talked all the time. And so that was a problem, and, and, and it was hard for the teacher to really manage me. And so the smaller class size of the Lutheran school helped, you know, tremendously for me. But what was it that your son was facing that, that kind of pointed you in that direction? Right. At the end of third grade, my son was like a little old man. He, uh, he wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He was basically shuffling around, and he was really stressed by school and just just overwhelmed. And the last, I'll never forget the last day of school, he got into the car. I picked him up from carpool. He gets in the car and he says, mom, you've got to homeschool me. I'm so worried about what my teacher's going to be like next year. If I get so-and-so I will die. And I'm like, time out, time out. It's the last day of school. Woo woo. School's out for <laughs> summer. And he, I'm like, seriously. And he's like, mom, I'm so worried. And so my husband and I got together and we're like, look, something's got to change because he's nine. Like this is no way for a nine-year-old to be living life at that point. And so we're like, let's, you know, my husband's like, let's just homeschool him for a year. You know what, you know, what's, it was fourth grade. And so we were on a road trip and I'll never forget the road trip. We're like, what would it look like if you could dream up a school, like your dream school or the school that you could always wanted for yourself in fourth, say fourth grade or middle school, what would that look like? And so we just spent a, a, like a car ride, just dreaming it up. And, you know, for me personally, I wanted him to read every great book, like all the great books that you read when you were a kid, like Gulliver's Travels and Treasure Island and Swiss Family Robinson and Sherlock Holmes and all the really fun books. And my husband's like, I want him to have a field trip every week. And so we're like, wouldn't it be cool to go to like an art museum and a science museum and nature things and hands-on activities? Because my son was real, like he loved his like tinkering. And so... Like, we're going to do field trips. We're going to read all the great books. And I did a really simple math curriculum. Like, we did lots of cooking with fractions. And, you know, we did a lot of store, you know, type of stuff. And um, so we did a real simple math curriculum. And I, you know, my father being from Puerto Rico, I really wanted him to learn Spanish and not just like a surface level kind of Spanish. I wanted him to learn like the culture and the history and more than just memorizing some vocabulary. And so we kind of came up with this this kind of dream school, if you will. And, you know, and, and that year, my son bloomed like crazy. I mean, mm. he transformed, he became a totally different guy. And at the end of the year, not that every day was perfect and sunshine and roses, but literally like he became a totally different guy. And it was like, somebody handed me gold every day. And, you know, there were days that I was crying and he was crying and it was only Monday at eight o'clock, you know, but, you know, those were the days where like, it's emergency grandparent day. And so we get in the car, we get in the car and go see our grandparents. And, you know, and that's the other thing is he got to do life with his grandparents. He had a couple grandparents that lived pretty close by. And so we did life with him and with those grandparents. And so, you know, when I began to doubt myself or wondered, was this a good idea to homeschool? I, I kind of reminded myself that I would never regret spending time with the people I love. And that kind of became my, my kind of, you know, my, my touch point to say like, this is hard, but it's a good kind of hard. And I'll never regret spending time with the people that I love.
so I'm curious, and again, I'm a complete layman on this subject, so <laughs> know that going into it. But when I think of homeschooling, like the, the stigmas of it that I would think of first would be like limited social exposure. Yeah. How do you, how do you overcome, overcome that? Or does it need to be overcome? Is that not even a real problem? And that's just something that a layman makes up. Yeah, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone asked me about that. I know that, I know that um, everybody's image of homeschooling is mommy sitting at the kitchen table, like um, with a book and reading it to their child. But, you know, that was not that's and that might be some people's experience, but that's not what most homeschoolers I know look like. Mm-hmm. Um it's, it's truly, a, it can be whatever you decide it to be. And, um, you know, it can be a feast of learning. My son had outside classes by, you know, led by some outside sources. So not every, not every course was taught by me. Um, we did some things together, things that I loved, like I loved things that involved reading and writing and discussion. So we did a lot of like reading great books together. We did a lot of like current events discussions and life lessons kind of discussions or things that I really wanted to learn about. We, we, I made those kind of my priority, but for the most part, he had kind of a a real mixed bag of learning. He had some online classes that he loved, loved, loved Um, a couple of those. He had some in-person like science labs taught by a professional from industry. Um, He had some hands-on clubs and learning experience. Like he was involved in the uh, science Olympiad team where he would tinker and build airplanes and rockets and trebuchets. And he was also involved in a travel. He was playing um, sports at that time. So he was playing ice hockey. So he had his whole ice hockey team. Um, And the cool thing about homeschooling is if you don't have it, you can create it. And so in high school, I had this thing where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think he knows anything about personal finance. Like, I don't know if he knows about a debit card or how to write a check or any of that stuff. So we decided we got a couple moms together six of us and we're like, Hey, let's make a personal, let's do a personal finance class. So, you know, we got about a pile of boys together and they did a class together in our house and we fed them tacos like every Wednesday night. And they were so happy to have this class together and they could debate their financial ideas. And, and, um, from that class, um, they became what they called themselves the movie night guys. And so literally every, every month they would get together and have a huge social where 15 guys would all come together and they'd watch movies and hang out and play cards and do fun stuff. And they were super active all through high school. And in fact, they are still in college. My son's a junior in college. They're still super good friends and still get together all the time and um, hang out together and encourage each other. And also they're iron sharpening iron for each other. So they, you know, when one's kind of going off the rails, they'll come alongside them and say, Hey, you know, you're going off the rails. And so um, I'm so grateful that those friendships were really deep during high school and, and during the homeschooling season because they've made all the difference both in pandemic and also beyond the high school years. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a that that's really powerful. And, and I, you know, the, the problem with the question that I asked is that it presupposes <laughs> that just because you're in a school with, you know, I, I went to school with I think 2000 kids. I didn't know all of them. And I, I didn't have deep relationships with all of them. So just because you're in a large group of people doesn't mean that now all of a sudden everything works out in this beautiful way socially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, to your point, it presupposes that the homeschooling experience is completely isolated. So um, right. that's really cool to hear that's not. And, and then, yeah, I was going to also ask about extracurricular activities, but you described, you know, he's playing ice hockey. I know when I went to the Lutheran school, 
you know, we were a very small private school. And, and so we had a basketball team and one of the teams we played against was a homeschool team. So it was a group mm-hmm. of kids that were all homeschooled that played. So um, was that something that you had to organize or was that something that was already in place when you got, once you became of an age to participate in those kinds of things? Um, it's a little bit of, of all the, you know, it's like I shared it, it's a mixed bag of learning. I mean, mm. there's some things that are already organized that you can just tap into like a science Olympiad team already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that we created on our own, like the personal finance class. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that um, sometimes that, you know, it's, it's a matter of tapping into, there's also community resources, you know, that you can also tap into as well. So, you know, there's pros and cons and everything. I'm not saying that homeschooling is the only way that, you know, you can ever educate your child, but it's like anything, there's good and bad things and everything. There's great things. I know great things about the private school and public school and charter schools. And there's, you know, also some not great things, but same with homeschooling, there's some great things about it. You get to customize your kid's education. Mm -hmm. You can kind of tailor it how you want to, you can take breaks when you want to. And we did a lot of traveling. I mean, I mean, my son loved Latin for some reason. He just was a huge Latin fan and so really good at Latin. And so I'll never forget, you know, taking after studying Latin for a couple of years, we took a trip to Italy and um, he could actually go to the buildings in in Rome and translate the, the etchings on the side of the building from his studies of Latin. And um, I'll never forget like him, like he had studied all the history and a lot of um, famous, you know, statues and sculptures. And so for him to see the Remus and Romulus um, sculpture, which is like of a wolf with the um, two infant children next to it. And so and his excitement of learning about that and learning the history of it and the history of Rome and and being able to translate the Latin inscriptions on it and then to be able to go physically there and see it, you know, was just transformative to him. And um, so I think you know, there's good and bad things in all of it, but it's just a matter of, of making the most of whatever opportunity you've been given. Right. Right. So I'm curious, and you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes it's eight in the morning on Monday and it's emergency grandparents day already. (laughs) Um, But I am curious, I mean, is it, is it possible to really separate school life from the rest of life or does it all kind of end up blending together? That's a great question. Um, I found that it became an ecosystem of learning pretty much, you know, it kind of becomes homeschooling becomes a lifestyle and it's not as if, you know, school is from eight to three and the bell rings every hour and you're switching subjects from one to the next, but you basically create this ecosystem of learning and sure you have structure in your day. And obviously you wouldn't be doing school all day, all night, but it kind of becomes a lifestyle. And so, um, you know, you can dive deep into a subject. Like my son loved, loved building stuff and tinkering. And so, you know, for example, he would do his class an online class, and then he would go out in the garage and over lunchtime, he would, he loved to build airplanes with balsa logs or he'd made rockets and stuff. And so like he would go out there and just tinker away. And that would happen on weekends where he would just go out there and tinker away and um, have fun with it. And he loved, he loved aviation, anything with aviation. So it kind of school becomes more of a lifestyle than it is necessarily like a hard and fast 45 minute subject, if you will. And, um, you know, anything can be a learning experience. I mean, when you think about it, like we would be driving somewhere and he would see they were opening up a new hydroponic farm nearby us. And he's like, do you think we could go and tour the hydroponic farm? And I was like, yeah. And so like, (laughs) You know, does that count as a like a science? Well, probably. I mean, we get to meet the farmer. He tells us how things are grown and how they're made, and 
you know, or, you know, we'd go to a, a lunchtime concert at a local symphony and like, is that a music appreciation course? Well, not re- maybe, uh, you know, mm. basically an opportunity to learn more. And so things become more of a lifestyle and, um, you know, you just, you learning becomes a love and learning becomes something that's just who you are. It's a, it's a fabric of who you are. And I'm not saying that all we do is learn and grow and, you know, read books and study stuff. And, you know, we had a lot of fun times too. And, you know, there were definitely times where he had to buckle down and do hardcore math or do like serious physics stuff. But a lot of times there are things that he would do just for the sheer love of it and the sheer Mm -hmm. love of learning. And so I do feel like, um, it changes into more of a lifestyle and an ecosystem of learning. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and, and you know, you've mentioned kind of some, you know, curriculum differences that, you know, for the, for example, the personal finance, which to be clear, I don't, and I have no idea now what's taught, but when I was in school, they didn't teach a class about debit cards and stuff. I mean, there was a class you could take that was, it was called business math, but it, <laughs> But if you, which, yeah, doesn't sound like personal finance at all. Um, But if you took that, you're like forfeiting taking like geometry or algebra or, you know, trigonometry. So it's, it's almost like kind of a, I don't know what the right word is, like a rudimentary class or something, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, hey, this is actually important for being a functioning adult in society. Right. Yeah. So how much how much flexibility did you have with curriculum and homeschooling? Do you get are there any regulations to that or are you able to kind of pick and choose what what you think makes the most sense? Yeah, so every state has its own requirements. I mean, mm. you know, people would need to check their local state requirements, but it's pretty it's pretty simple for high school. It's like four maths, four sciences, four English and, you know, like four electives. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, And obviously, if you're pursuing a college prep, um, a college experience, you want to be prepared for college, you're not just going to show up with, you know, basic stuff. But um, so it's pretty straightforward. And you can kind of design it how you will. And so, you know, we were playing, my son was very interested in engineering and business. And so that's kind of the bent that we pursued in preparing him for, you know, and, you know, every parent kind of tailors, that's what's cool about it is you really just tailor your education and how your child is gifted. And you kind of try to gear their education towards their strengths, but also with a mind to like, how can I create a thriving, functioning um, adult in society? So, you know, my whole goal and my son would probably, he would just roll his eyes um, because I would say this a hundred times. My goal was to raise a virtuous young man. Because I and I would say that and people would say, what's your goal in homeschooling? I'd say to raise a virtuous young man. And because I felt like if I could raise a virtuous young man who knew who he was in his faith, who knew who he was in his person and who was disciplined and his um, lifestyle, that he could pretty much overcome anything and he could learn what he needed to learn. He could figure out what he needed to figure out and he would have the character and the integrity to go with that. And so um, that was my overall goal. But I tell you, it's fun because you do have flexibility and um you know, things like home ec were never like I, I had that when I was in school, but like they don't I mean, they maybe they have it now. I don't know. But I made this thing because my son, I'm like, you need to learn how to cook. This is important. And so I made this thing called Man Time Mondays. And so he would have to cook dinner every Monday and he hated it so much. He's like, <laughs> Why do I have to cook? It's Man Time. I hate Man Time Monday. And so like it literally be the easiest thing you could possibly imagine. It would be like tacos or like pasta with butter and cheese. Like it would be so simple. It would be terribly ridiculous. So finally he got into it after a while. And um, then I made him grill. Like I made him master grilling because I personal, I didn't want to have to be outside. It's hot in North Carolina. <laughs> and so I'm like, you have to grill. You have, That's Man Time Monday. And so literally he grilled 
anything that needed to be grilled could be grilled. But I tell you now, oh my gosh, in college, he has his house of his own. He lives with a bunch of guys. He is like the chef at his, at his house. And so, Mm. so much so that for his birthday, they bought him an apron that said, kiss the cook on it. (laughs) And and he asked for his birthday, his 20th birthday, he asked for a set of knives because he wanted to be more (laughs) chefy. So I'm like, oh, those man time Mondays are finally, they finally have come home to roost and the kid that loves to cook. So I tell you, he's got a lot of confidence, a lot of joy in the kitchen as a young man, as a result of those man time Mondays. So you know, it's funny because we, we kind of underestimate the life skills stuff. Um, we want to pursue like high level academics, like mm-hmm. physics and the, you know, the high level algebras and chemistry and, you know, which are all great and wonderful and important. But, you know, sometimes it's the things like learning how to cook and learn how to you know, use your debit card and, you know, things like life and how to file an insurance claim for your car. I mean, things like that are equally as important on how to do life well. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. And yeah, good on you for the cooking thing. So when I was a kid, my mom tried to to teach me cooking. And I think I refused to participate um, as much as possible, which resulted in in my 20s, when I would cook at home, I would like make a box of mac and cheese and then put tuna or, you know, just terrible, terrible. I love mac and cheese. It's fine, but it's not, it's not. To me, cooking was like taking something out of a box and heating it up on the stove. Like if it wasn't made in the microwave, I'm in chef territory. Um, <laughs> and, and and now, you know, later, luckily, I've, I've been able to, to actually learn to cook a little bit. Not that I'm, you know, a great cook or something, but I don't make everything out of a box. I can actually cook some things from scratch. So that's, that's a good. win. So good for him to be able to do that much earlier. He's ahead of the rest of us. Um, <laughs> so I, I was curious, you know, this was obviously kind of a, a, a new experience for you when you started. Was there was there any part of it that you remember that you were really anxious about that then turned out to be mm. a lot easier than than you'd anticipated? Or maybe easy isn't the right word, but but you were able to overcome more readily than yeah. you'd anticipated. Yeah, the thing about homeschooling is it magnifies your every weakness. And mm-hmm. so I um, people told me when I first started homeschooling that your child will become your greatest teacher. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. My kid's going to be teaching me history lessons or sweet little math problems or what have you. But really, um, the greatest teacher lessons were about kind of pride and ego and and your greatest weaknesses. And so I had to learn how to kind of surrender that because, you know, basically I believe that, you know, I wanted it to be successful. I wanted it to look good. And so I wanted the world to look at what I was doing and, and praise me and say, wow, you're an amazing homeschool mom, you know? And so I had to, I had to kind of, you know, God kind of worked on my heart a little bit with that because my child is not my resume and my child is not my trophy to hold up to the world and say, look at me and look how great I am at homeschooling. So um, I learned a lot about like surrendering that and knowing that, you know, sometimes the greatest thing you can do is kind of to come to the end of yourself and say, I can't do this on my own. And um, I have to invite others in here to help me, or I have to get ask God's help to show up and, and go to work because I can't do it any other way. And so that's really where like the power of the circle um, of others to come alongside me came into play where every Thursday, my son would have this class with others that were teaching him. And so I'd sit under a tree and we'd have lunch with other parents and I can remember like just every Thursday just coming either in tears or 
struggling or worried or anxious and just having other wise encouragers come alongside me to say, you know what, you can do this. Or maybe they're a little farther along than me on the journey and they could say, here's how I did it. Or here's some ideas on how to do it. Or you can do this. I believe in you. You can thrive and survive homeschooling. And so I really, I, I never realized like what kind of impact it was going to be to make me kind of broken in the process, but how it made us so much stronger as a family and individuals. And I, it's, you know, it was an amazing journey. And I've, I, um, I am so grateful that we had so many adventures together, but, and that's kind of why I wrote my book, Nourish. I really, so many people had poured into me in this process through the struggles, through the heartache, through the anxiousness, through the worried, like, can I do this high school thing? And I had a heart, especially for high school, because, you know, everybody thinks it's really cute and sweet to homeschool when you're elementary and middle school kids. Like what middle school kid doesn't want to escape middle school? I mean, please, yes, please. But high school, it's like all bets are off, you know, like, can you really do hard classes? Like, I don't know if you're smart enough. And can you really get your kid into college? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think you don't, you weren't that good at math anyways in high school. Like how do you, who are you to think you could do this? And so I really had a heart to share all those lessons from 10 years that people had poured into me and given me to say, you know what, I'm going to share this, all that I've learned in hopes that it can inspire and encourage others along this journey. So I, I'm, I'm curious then, um, kind of one final question on the, on the homeschooling is just, you know, in, in our discussion, you've you've highlighted that, which I love this, by the way, that there's not one way that's the, the best way, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's nuance to all of this and there's different things available. I mean, yep. someone who's working, you know, one or, or maybe more jobs full time, maybe doesn't have the opportunity to, to homeschool, especially if they're mm-hmm. a single parent or something like that. So, and, and, you know, as we mentioned, there's not just, it's not just like public schooling or homeschooling. There's also private schools, there's charter schools, is there, and, and I'm sure this is a very complicated or yet again, nuanced answer, but at a high level, is there anything that you advise people to kind of think about when trying to think about what the best option for their family might be? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I encourage people to think about is legacy. Like what legacy do you want to create? You know, what do you, what do you want your kids to remember 10 years from now? when they're done with this. Maybe you homeschool for a year or less. I always encourage people to do at least one year or whatever time. Like, what do you want them to remember from this homeschool experience? And and to make it a reflection of your family and who you are. Like we did with our family, like we wanted it to be like, you know, Spanish and cooking and books and hands-on. And so, but that may not be what is good for anybody else. Maybe there's like really tech families or really high, you know, intense science or intense like English families. So or maybe I know a lot of families that have done just tons of travel. Like that's all they do is travel upon travel and which is super cool. Um, so I just encourage people to think about how can you make it a legacy of the, of your own family? What does your own family love? And to think big about it, like to think about it as a big feast of learning, like how can I make this the most amazing learning experience? And not to say like money is no object, but you know, homeschoolers are pretty frugal and efficient people. And they've taught me a lot about how you can create some amazing stuff for very little cost. And so um, I just believe that people should look first in at their own family and think about their own legacy and what they want to create for their family. And then think about what they want their kid to remember 10 years from now.
big proponent of what you refer to as circles. And you've mentioned it a couple of times here already. And yet again, I mean, <laughs> we talked about, you know, I like to do the show because I like to, to find out about other people's journeys and lives and that sort of stuff. I also constantly am reminded how little I actually know about the rest of the world because I would <laughs> never heard of the circle and it's brilliant. It's a, it's a great thing. I mean, I know, like I told you before, I work with a life coach, so that's an accountability partner in a way. And mm -hmm. I've talked to people about mentorship and I've talked mm -hmm. to people about even just an accountability partner. That's maybe not a mentor, but I've not really talked to people about this idea of a circle. So can you just talk to me about what the circle is and is this an idea of yours or is this an idea you came in? Yeah, see, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot claim this is my genius. No. Um, yeah, a circle. And really, like, there's a lot of people that have written about circles and talked about circles. And, and you think about it, like, biblically, like Jesus was part of a big, you know, the circle with yeah. his disciples, right? That's like the first original circle. But um, one of my favorite teachers about circles is Andy Stanley. And um, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a pastor. Um, uh, he's pretty famous of a, of a church community in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, but he's written tons about circles. He's written books and studies and all of that. But he has this famous quote where he says, life change happens in circles, not rows. And while he's talking about the church specifically, I think it works beautifully for life because a circle quite simply is encouragers that agree to show up and remind you of your best self. And so um, I'm in a season right now where I've kind of seen how see, like circles have really been a consistent part of my life um, over time. And so I've had various circles, whether it's homeschooling or marriage or fitness. Um, and how it kind of all got started was when I was in my 20s and I was in the lone wolf syndrome kind of experience where it was like, you know, I'm success 101. I, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to you know, put in a million hours and I'm never going to ask for help. And I'm going to look like I've got it all together. And inside I'm quietly dying and, you know, <laughs> and just working myself and I'm not eating and I'm not sleeping and I'm just working myself to death. And, you know, I had this expression that said, like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And, you know, that works really great until you get fired or you lose your job. And then I had nothing to show for it. I had, you know, anxiety and ulcers and, and now I had no confidence because I had lost my job. And so, you know, at the time, I, even though I didn't know it, I longed for others to come alongside me and say, hey, let me, let's work together. Let's show you a better way to live, you know, that you're not all by yourself in this lone wolf syndrome. And, you know, so we all struggle, right? We all struggle, whether it's with careers or jobs or um, relationships or grief or loneliness, whatever it is, we all struggle. And so I think as a young person, I never knew like, oh, wow, other people struggle with things too. I thought it was just me. And so I think that um, I've come to learn over time that life can be so much better when you engage the power of others to come alongside you and do life with you. And um and it's so much more fun, right, to do life in a circle and um, to have others cheer you on and you cheer them on. And so it's it's just cool. Life gets really good in a circle. And so I'm a huge fan of like looking at your life and saying, like, where do I need encouragement and how can I um, how can I live my best life with the power of others alongside me? Yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It, you know, I as a, as a podcaster, for example, I've for the last few years have gone to a, a podcast conference, which is thousands of other podcasters. And it's certainly not the, the circle experience because it's not that intimate and, and we don't all know each other that well. But just being around 
that many other people that are all energized by the same thing and everyone's in a great mood and you know what I mean? Like I, you just, you can't come away from it not being more energized about it. Um, yeah. And that's absolutely. not unique to podcasting conferences, obviously just in general though, I guess my point is that we have a lot of proof that being around other people <laughs> who to your point are encouraging, especially is, is, is really, really powerful. So, and I'm sure there's not, I know there's not like a hard set, rule for, for this or something, but how many people generally are in these circles? I mean, is it, is it, you know, 20 or less? Is it a hundred or less? Like how big do these circles get? Well, there's no hard and fast rule about circles and they can be formal or informal. I mean, I've been a part, as I mentioned earlier, of other, all different kinds of circles. Um, whether it's just a person that I can come alongside with you know, me and say, Hey, I need accountability here. You know, I've been a part of writer's circles where we swap story ideas or we have critique each other's work, or we share submission sites. That's really fun. Um, and then I've also been a part of marriage and family where we're working on our relationship or we study a book together. And so that could be a couple people. It could be one or two. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's kind of informal too. I'll share a story where um, this past year, I'm, I feel like I'm in a season of adventure. Like I feel like, man, life's too short. I got to do some fun stuff. So I, um, I decided this year, I really wanted to learn how to surf. I really long to learn how to surf. And so, you know, there was no real good reason. I mean, I, you know, I look at these magazines and I think, oh, these surf ladies are so confident and strong and powerful and man, and it just, I would, it would just stay with me. And I, and then I'd think in my logical head and I'd say, you know, there's no real good reason to learn how to surf. It's expensive and there's sharks and there's like jellyfish and I might die. And can I even get up on a surf? Like, what if I hate surfing after all this? And so I'm like, there's no good reason to surf. And then I thought about it again. I'm like, you know, this is a something in me that just won't go away. And so I finally decided like, because it's a re in me and it's something that won't go away, it's a good enough reason to bring it forth. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to surf this year. And so I made a decision. And so I'm like, I'm going to power up a circle to kind of help me with this goal. And so I, I, um, had some friends that were walkers and I'm like, Hey, can I walk with, you know, that's the simplest thing I can think of to start. I needed to get physically stronger. And so I'm like, can I walk with you just to get stronger? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll have walking dates. And so I got physically, you know, fit or moving my body. And then my one friend is really good at food and nutrition. And I said, hey, can we swap, you know, uh, recipes for healthy eating? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, great. And then I tapped my fitness friends. I'm like, can you show me how to do like a plank or a burpee or the push up? you know, with, I need to get strong in my upper body. And so I kind of powered up all these little sources to help me. And then I had one friend who was working on a push. She wanted, my friend Debbie was doing this push up challenge where she wanted to get to a certain number. And so I'm like, Hey, let's, let's collaborate. And so every month we check on each other and I'd say, how are you doing on the push up challenge? And she'd say this or that, or this, and these are my goals. I'm like, okay. And she'd say, how are you doing on your surf challenge? And I'd be like this or that. And, and so then I said to my son, I said, can you make a date with me to go surf? Because I don't think I can do it alone. I think I'll chicken out. And if I don't have somebody to go with me, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And so, and plus I figured he's 20. He can probably rescue me in a rip current if I'm dying, you know? So it was kind of selfish that way. But so for the first time this past May, I surfed in the Outer Banks of North Carolina awesome. and um, it was such a blast to get up on that board. And I tell you, like, did I surf elegantly or professionally or like world-class? No, not at all. But I got up on that board and it was pretty amazing. And I can now say that I'm the kind of person who surfs. And uh, so, so big deal. Who cares? Like, so what? I surf, big deal. But I tell you, 
when you take a dream that's in your heart and you bring it out and you live it and you like manifest it with other people to witness and cheer you on and it can't help but change you. It can't help but have like this halo effect in everything you do, whether it's in your relationships or your work or your creativity or your, you know, your life, it just becomes this kind of synergy or this halo effect because you took a dream that's in your heart and you brought it forth. And I never, I never would have been able to do that without the power of the circle to encourage me. Now, was that formal? Did it look like a certain thing? No, um, it was kind of what needed to happen to make it come forth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well. So uh, if, if someone's listening and they don't have you know, a list of people in their head already that they, that they can just think of that they could reach out to, to start a circle with, how do people find a circle or how do people start a circle? Like what methods do you suggest for that? Okay. Yeah. I, I have a little thing that I always encourage people when they're thinking about circles. I say life is better in a circle in 3d. So the first step is to decide the first D decide and um, a couple decide what you want your circle to look like or what it is that you want to work on. So a couple good questions to ask are, you know, what's bugging me or where do I need encouragement or where do I really want to invest some time? So the first step is to decide what area of your life you want to work on. The second is to determine, determine what it is you want your circle to look like. So a couple good questions to ask would be like, what, you know, what's already in front of me or what kind of people are already on my path or what's, you know, who are some people that are already perhaps working on this goal or what, you know, what are some things that I, I could do to create a circle? So the first step is to decide. The second step is to determine. And the third step is the hardest, which is to dive in. I think half the battle is really just getting started with the circle. And, you know, sometimes you start and it's kind of clunky and you have to kind of polish as you go, but it's getting started and saying, how can I make this meaningful or how can we be good encouragers of each other? And so, you know, a couple ways to find people on your circle are to look already a what's in front of you, like what neighbors or friends or family or people in your midst are already working on this goal um, and to invite them. People like to be invited personally, right? It's just like potlucks or um, really good parties. Like people like to be invited personally, like, hey, I'm working on this goal. Will you work with me on it? You know, they like to be invited personally. Um, and obviously, you know, a search on internet or Facebook, Facebook pretty much has every group that you can possibly think of. True. Um, but, you know, I'm a person of faith. And so I always think, you know, ask God to put people on your path that are who you're meant to journey alongside that can help bring out your best self too. So those are my three, you know, my recommendations is to consider like what's already in front of you and how can you um, invite others to join you in that process? Yeah. And what's just dawned on me in, in hearing you kind of explain this more is I guess a place where I have heard of this idea. Um, it just wasn't called circles, but it's called a mastermind group. Yeah. And that's something I've seen like with business people and entrepreneurs and that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, a lot of times those that I've been exposed to at least have like a fee structure associated with joining. Oh, okay. So not all, not exactly the same as what, what you're talking okay. about. Um, but, but, but the point is, is that the benefit of it is that it's people who, maybe otherwise, you know, they're not working side by side every day or something, but are, are coming from different areas of life to collaborate. And, and the word you keep using that I, that I love a lot is just encourage one another. Mm -hmm, right. um, so one last word I want to ask you about that, that, and I don't know if this is unique to me, but growing up, there are certain words that I grew up understanding to have like this really negative connotation only to then later realize that it's not actually necessarily negative. It could be. So examples of that would be like consequences. So when I was a kid, like if I was doing something wrong, 
there were consequences, which really meant punishment or I'm going to be in trouble <laughs> or something, right? But that consequence isn't a bad thing. It's just the next thing that happens in a sequence, right? It could be mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the reason I, I make that example is just another word that's used a lot in this is, is accountability. Mm. And again, for a long time, I viewed accountability as like, oh, well, that's like someone calling you out or something, mm -hmm. right? And I, I now understand it differently, but can you just describe for yourself what accountability looks like or what that word means? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think accountability is just having someone that is going to, you know, it can be as simple as somebody checking on you. And I think, you know, whenever you start getting together and with a common goal in mind, you're coming at it from a place of intention. And I think you can set the parameters as, look, I don't need someone to shame me about this. I need someone to just check on me or to say, like, how are you doing on that? Or how's it going with that? And so I think that it's being clear about your expectations and your parameters. But to know, you know, I personally work a lot harder or will be more motivated when I know someone's going to ask me about it. And it's not that they're going to make me feel bad or shame me about it um, because we've set that intention that it's not about shaming um, or feeling bad. It's more about having someone that you know is going to come alongside of you and check on you and holding up your best self. You know, some of the some of the best groups I've been a part of have really had no goal, like they've had no intention other than to hold that space for each other, you know, to say we're here for you in whatever way you need. And um, there was a season in my life where I longed for more creative voices, more wise, wise women in my life that could just pour wisdom into me. And so I signed up for a circle called as part of a magazine called She Loves Magazine. And it's a faith magazine. It's online. And they were forming these circles. And so um, they put us together in this group. And I thought, what have I done? I don't know who these people are. What are they going to expect of me? What is this going to be like? I, I immediately regretted it. I thought this is going to be terrible. There's no structure for this. We don't have an agenda. We don't have any accountability. I don't know how this is going to go. And um, we had one rule, which was show up. And so our leader would come together and she'd say, okay, like we'd have a theme for the month and we'd get together once a month and it could be leap or joy or wonder. And she'd come with just fun questions and we'd discuss things and how they were working in our lives. And you'd think like at first you would see us on paper and you would just yawn because it was like a grandma from New Jersey and it was me, a homeschooling mom and like a nonprofit lady in Florida and this professor in Canada. And you'd think, okay, that's kind of boring, but okay. But man, that group has been, we have endured so many amazing things. And, you know, we don't really necessarily have any rules, just show up and hold that time lightly for whatever it's going to be. And so we've endured both the sacred and just the struggle together, whether it's enduring cancer together or enduring, you know, my father died during um, the pandemic, or it's um, extreme loneliness that, you know, we all suffered from. But we basically talked through and walked through so many hard things together. And then as well, we, we held up like the best selves for each other, where we encourage each other, whether it was starting a podcast or writing a book or learning to surf or being brave in your workplace situations and daring to speak up when you needed to. And so I just love that, you know, here we are holding the best vision of with of our lives for each other in this space lightly. But yet, you know, reminding each other that, you know what, you can do this. And we, we've got your best self here. And we're going to remind you of that. I love it. I absolutely love it. I got to tell you, I'm now a way bigger fan of homeschooling. Not that I really had, wasn't a, like I wasn't opposed to it, but I was very neutral. Now I'm a way bigger fan of homeschooling than I was before we chatted. Oh, uh, good. And now I'm going to have to find a circle to set up because <laughs> this, 
It's just too great. It's just too great. Um, Cara, I I am truly humbled to have you come on the show and share your your stories and your wisdom and your insights. Um, As I mentioned at the top, your website is caramclaughlin.life.com. I'll have a link in that in the show notes for people to go to directly. Um, Anywhere else that you'd like for listeners to, to reach out or connect with you at? Yeah. I mean, they can follow me on social media. I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook at Cara McLaughlin Life. And, um, you know, I, I blog every week about encouragement on my website. So they're welcome to subscribe and, and get more weekly encouragement if they'd like to on my website at CaraMcLaughlinLife.com. So we'll, I'm sure we'll share a, sh- a link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, uh, I really, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Walker.
kingdoms came crashing down One by one they fell to the ground No way to keep the stone walls within Their paper letters drifted into That's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Cara McLaughlin for sharing her walk of life and having such a thoughtful and candid conversation. Her website is caramclaughlinlife.com, and you can find the link to that as well as Cara's social media accounts in the show notes. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show, and last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.